Okay, so many ingeer dominies, Dutch reform, <laughs> I spoke to in the last few months, actually a few years, uh, Leona, that's the CEO of MESS, and every single time your name pitches up. So that's quite a privilege to, to at, at last have this opportunity to ask you a few questions. We met the other day there at church in, in uh, Cape Yeah, yeah. And I thought, let's just do it. So great to see you on Zoom. Great to be with you. I feel I'm very expectant to all that this has. Thank you, Enrique. So I want to start off by um, let's let's just talk about what you're doing at this stage, uh, what you're busy with, and then we'll dig down to the the how it happened and why it happened. So what are you busy with at this stage? Yeah, this right. So I am one of the pastors at Al Shaddai Christian Church. I oversee somewhat of the transformational-like ministries and the youth ministry as well. I also am the program manager at Mold Empower Serve with a, a program. It's called the Second Phase Accommodation Program. So I have 10 kids that are all double my age that I get to live with and journey with that have all previously been homeless, but have now been put together in community. So yeah, those are the things I get the privilege of doing. And you will have quite an interesting uh, house that you live in there. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I never in my wildest dreams, I don't know if anyone when they matriculated Yaku would have been able to say, wow, one day I'm going to be living with homeless people. Uh, but I suppose... <laughs> I opened up my Bible and I saw this God-like figure, God made man on earth that said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So I was like, huh, if Jesus became homeless for the sake of the homeless, then surely I too, as a Christ follower, ought to be doing that. So yeah, all of the guys that are staying with me have conquered their substance use disorder. All of them have gotten jobs of some sorts, and now they pay a stipend towards communal living, and I get the privilege of staying with them. And where is this house, and how does it work? Yeah, so uh, six pastoristrat in Belleville, uh, in Gekerk, so Murugemeente, they were kind enough to rent that out to us, and honestly, it's the greatest location. I mean, it's close to public transport, very cheap, affordable inner city living, and very close to all of our social work services as well. So it's all the guys that have worked like a, a walked a two-year, one-year journey with our organization. We met them where they were at on the street. We've tried to walk this journey with them. And now this new beginning is accommodation. And man, I can tell you, Every single guy that has stayed there has gotten one or more promotions in the time that they've been there. So it's just a really great environment where you get to benefit from family and community. And that's the base to which you live from. Yeah. Now, for the ones that listen, Enrique is English and I have in the free state in Afrikaans. And we have over of my English... <laughs> Waarschijnlijk slechter het zij Afrikaans. Enrique, misschien kan jij die volgende in, in Afrikaans antwoord. So iets oor die, die gemeenskap daar, ek weet heel stijn en die ouds daar van, um, uh, van die, die gemeentes daar. Uh, jy werkt lekker saam met van die, die NG gemeentes daar en ander gemeentes daar in, in Durmanville, uh, behalwe nou vir die huis wat jy hier en so. 
Ja, ja so um, mijn eerste um, experience, kom ik zeggen, van die enige kerk was hier, Dominique Breitenbach. Hij uh, is een vriend van, van jou, hij is een vriend van, van mij. Um, so, ja, Dominville, Murugemeente, is een enige kerk. We actually met each other op die Stads uh, Ward Committee. Hij heeft die faith-based organizations uh, gedeelte gerepresent en ik heb die school gedeelte gerepresent. En dan, um, sure man, we met each other. Ons was die twee jongste mensen op die, op die board. Um, sure, allemaal was so 60 en had, I think, 2 of 3 degrees en dat was net die twee van ons. Maar ja, we, um, together we started a feeding scheme, uh, my church and his church, that ended up raising 4 million rand and fed 200.000 people. So look, I know that the NG Kerk Flipman uh, does a geschiedenis van um, oppressie en um, all the wrong types of things. But I can tell you that in the NG Kerk I've experienced, I've been able to experience nothing but freedom, love and pastors, dominees, um, but they have a heart for the community. So that's my experience from the NGK. So how did you end up at MESS? That's an interesting thing, because last time when I, um, when I saw you in Pretoria, it was actually Leona, who is the CEO there of MESS, as I said. She organized yeah. the connection. Um, but at that, in those days, you, you weren't working for MESS yet, huh? So I just started working for MESS at the end of that year. And I wanted to go and see where it all began, where it all started in Johannesburg. And so Leona opened up her home to me, actually. And I got to stay there with the Pinar family, uh, the most amazing and loving family. Sure. Let me, let me tell you about an experience I had in 2020, the start of 2020. So... I watched the movie, The the Joker. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's the first time that the creating studio DC showed the Joker created primarily by social circumstances. So usually like he gets injected with something off the Swiss laughing gas of suits. My date was it net say um, the circumstances experienced in his life. And um you know, he was a victim of mental illness, a victim of abuse, and he really tried to reach out, but no one intended to help him. And so I watched this movie, Yaku, and now it's like that robot by Teiga Falei, and that's man. And um, I said, yo, Manier, like, honestly, I believe in you. I believe in your story. I believe you can make something of your life, man. And he looked at me. He paused. And he said, my friend, if you were in my circumstances, you would do the exact same thing that I'm doing. And Vas was, sure, <laughs> you're probably right, sir. And we nodded at each other and we, we went on our path. And later in that year, 2020, we started doing all of these cool things in the community. And we started partnering with Mess and giving them food parcels as well. And I had to sit down with the branch manager, who's one of my mentors today, Ilza Martins. And she told me about MESS. And I was like, look here, I want to, I do, I think I intend to work here. And she says, Enrique, we need someone to start a drop-in center. It was, was okay, even me, what is a drop-in center? <laughs> so um, I got to plant that year in Durbanville and I've been with MESS ever since. 
Well, fantastic story. Yeah. Now I spoke to, I did an interview with Heidi Baker once and I lived with um, uh, the Sisters of Mercy in Calcutta for a while. I volunteered there. And I did an interview with Heidi Baker. You know, one of the edge was kind of, of the story was, or the interesting part was, um, it was for a port those days, was yeah. that he, um, she always quoted Mother Teresa. And I asked her about it there in Pemba. I said, you're a charismatic lady, but you quote this Catholic nun, you know, uh, in every yeah. book, in every single sermon. And then she said the following, she said, Yaku, but we have the same theology. Our theology is Jesus and loving the poor. And as yeah. I speak, it seems like that is also the theology of Enrique. Is that so? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so uh, here's the thing in the, the, the Old Testament that when God introduces himself, and I look when I'm being introduced, if I'm speaking somewhere or, um, yeah, I'm just getting introduced, I like to be introduced by the things I most identify with. So it's in Enrique, this is where he works. He's a, he's a pastor. He, he lives with the people he lives with. The God of the Bible, when he's introduced by the prophets, he's called a father to the orphan, a husband to the widow, a freer of the oppressed and a friend to the poor. And if those are the things that God is, then certainly I have to be that as well. I'm preaching this weekend um, sermon is called uh, Righteous Relationships. And it's all about being in the right standing with God and right standing with others. And the text I'm using is that of Job in Job 29, where he said everyone in the community uh, spoke well of him and sang well of him because why? He put on justice as his clothing and righteousness as well. And he wore that. And that for me is such a key text in terms of Israeli ethics and how one ought to live. And if I saw a God that was chilling with the tax collectors, the lepers, the women trapped in prostitution, then surely that's what I ought to be doing as well, Yaku. Sure, that's beautiful. Where did it start for you, Enrico? How did this happen in your life? Sure, good question. I can tell you that I've had the most amazing role models around me all the time. So my experience of church has been one growing up in the Lenumati, the Anaklap Kerke, in the small colored communities of Mitchell's Plain, the, the southern suburbs, wherever you might find it. And my idea of church was doing church on the street around a fire. My idea of church was doing church in homes with people. My idea was church is one way you'd have the service and then you'd share a meal together with people. So that was just me growing up. And that's what I was experienced. That's what I experienced in my life. So I think everyone's had a very unique experience of church in their life. But I think I was very privileged in the way that I was raised to have a church that was interwoven with the community. So I think it's just my upbringing in terms of church. And your parents, what did they do for a living when you grew up? Yeah, so my father, he grew up really poor, actually. He was one, he's, he's one of six kids and they stayed in a very... A small house and oftentimes in their life they had to stay at different parts of the country with different family members because they were that poor and they couldn't 
um, the parents couldn't look after them. My mother as well grew up in a community, Belhar. Uh, today, it's uh, not one of the greatest communities in the world, but back then it was okay. My father couldn't afford education, but fortunately stayed away from the drugs and the crime and never paid a cent in his life for education. And now has his master's degree in business. He's an engineer by trade and my mother is a teacher. So they are truly examples to me of people that have really worked hard, stayed with God, and they've really been able to create a good life for themselves. And a few things happened um, in high school and after school that put you on this path. Tell us about that. Yeah, so <laughs> at the end of high school, I started to be a lot more cognizant of the community around me and I believe God started to work in my heart. So right in Durbanville, there's this community Morningstar, which is a, its systemic roots lie in that of where people of color were moved there and because of the structural housing during that time in the history there. And there's this us and them type of mentality between the broader residents of Durbanville and the community of Morningstar. The broader residents in Durbanville tell me, no, it's this crime-ridden community and they don't want to go there. The residents of Morningstar say, yeah, they've always been othered by the community. But Yaku, I was just sick and tired of that. So uh, <laughs> uh, myself and a few friends of mine, we took a box of chess sets. We walked into the community center and on said, for the Tani gefra, Tani can on said, chess spiel, so many kinders. Uh, and here he was now in the vacancy, the school vacancy. And so he was with, yeah, of course. And through that, we were able to reach all the kids of the community through chess. Imagine uh, small kids being keen to play chess. We put down a speaker, we played music. And through that, we were able to reach the whole community because we walked the kids home, we interacted with their parents. And I think through that, I started to see the heart of God in terms of building community. So I think that was the greatest formative experience for me in terms of after school and community building. Yeah. You also received a reward, a national reward, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, in 2020, the Mail and Guardian recognized me as one of the 200 most influential young people in the country for the work that I've done in the community, which um, is a lot of small occultists, which I don't consider to be that good. I'm just being a person, a Christian person. Um, and then the work that I've done with the organization as well, Molding Power Serve. But I think it was the first time I was recognized for things I did because always the institutions and the church had been recognized for things, but never so myself. So it was a very weird moment for me, but um, I suppose a cool moment. You are a very positive guy, and you've got such a, a vibe uh, about you. Uh, they say that the sign of a, of a saint, and they said that of Desmond Tutu and so many of the saints, is that the Dalai Lama even, that if you you if you visited the, the person, you feel better about yourself. And I think that's what <laughs> everybody that I know that, that I've met you really say. But uh, I suppose there must have been some hardships also. Scott Van Heeren the other day said the things that motivate him is the, the, the beautiful stories, but there's also this heart-wrenching, really sad things that he observed. 
that uh, yeah. motivated him uh, to to be on the spot. Do you have uh, encounters like that? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I think um, I, I'll tell you of an experience in my earlier childhood, and then I'll tell you of one in my. Well, I haven't lived much as an adult, but in my early adulthood, I suppose. Uh, I think with most young people, we, well, young men certainly, we try to put our identity in the things of this world and in women. And so it was very much so for me as well. I, I spent my high school years like chasing girls, going after girls. And there was this one particular heartbreak where your man, like the girl, uh, she she thought it was oh, cool cool to be with other guys as well and you know that was a lack of for me and you know, I, I really was in terms of looking for my identity there I was disappointed and so I really had to turn to God in that moment and there was this moment I was your I was face down on the floor in church chunking and it was a prophetic word um, that somebody came to me and they said they spoke exactly into my situation i'd never met this person before but they told me everything about this girl and what i'd been feeling and i think was just like it how's that and um i can never understand the mysteries of god i don't think any of us can but that was a really formative experience for me and then i had to drop out of university twice <laughs> once unwillingly and once willingly the unwilling one i had to come to terms with the history of mental illness in my family a lot of us struggle with bipolarity and things really got hectic for me in 2019 we look I, I believe mental illness is twofold uh part it's part genetic and then i think a part lifestyle as well and i think both both uh, meshed together in a holy storm. And so I found myself in a few times in 2019 and in 2020 as well, at the point of taking my own life, not wanting to live for anything. But that's where Jesus meets you in those places. So he met me every single time I've been in a place of brokenness and all glory to him for where I am today. Sure. Oh, wow. And uh, do you still struggle with that or is it... Is it a life, life, lifelong struggle? It's okay. You know, um, Paul says in his word, there's this thorn in his flesh that he asks God to remove from him. But instead, God says, oh, <laughs> my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather rejoice in my suffering, says Paul. So the power, uh, Paul, so the power of Christ can rest upon him. So, uh, Hectic man, ekvieti. I'm currently on 200 milligrams of mood stabilizers. I'm on 10 milligrams of antidepressants and 5 milligrams of anti-anxiety tablets, which I take every day. I So what the mood stabilizers and the antidepressants do, um, usually my experience of emotion is like this. It puts my experience of emotion like this. So I don't really get happy much or experience deep sadness but I suppose it's the thought in my flesh that I'm dealing with now. And I trust that one day I'll be able to win off the medication. But I can tell you it, <laughs> I really unfairly, I think, didn't have a good regard. And I actually looked down upon people that were struggling with mental illnesses. And then until I realized I myself was struggling with one and my family deeply so as well. I, I now am a big advocate for 
people struggling with mental health. And I think they're also called the least of these in society. So I want to stand up for them. Hmm. No, I think it's it's awesome that you share this. Thank you for that, Enrique. Uh, we just yeah. had uh, uh, Ivor Swartz's book launch here at Grounded, at our coffee shop, Grounded at Echo, last week. Wow. He wrote that book, um, uh, Kies die Lewe, Dans met Depressie. He wrote a physical, interesting book where in why he has a story to tell. And he's seen the Je sien die ouds baie keer amper so in performance mode en jy dink hulle het alles so by mekaar en dan dink ek van die die, ja. die mense, die hoorders, die kinders by die school, die gemeentelere, die haveloose ouds met wie ons werk, dink ons het alles so by mekaar en dan eindelijk um, help dit, dink ek baie, die, die feit dat ons ook eerlijk oor ons eie struggle kan wees en ons het ook heel wat gesels oor dat die Dis eindelijk een duidelijke, dis amper een lijn, een consistentie dwars door die bybel, is hier die stories van mense wat maar geworstel het, wat, wat ek hier gewens het, hulle is nie gebore nie, en wat donker besalms en goed ja. geskryf het. So. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, wat het jy geswaad op die universiteit? I started studying politics, philosophy and economics, PPE, at university. I'm quite, I'm still passionate about all of those subjects i do still have the credits and so i can i can pick it up because I've, i've just continued my studies which means um for stalinbosch at least you can pick it up again whenever you want to uh so that's what i that's what i studied but i think i <laughs> i learned so much out of life aside from university it was very interesting i was always one of those students that miraculously by the grace of god was able to read the summary before the test and then for some reason i was able to get like 60 70% for the test so that's not a great incentive because if you find yourself doing that and it's working then you'll start to do it more often <laughs> but um yeah i think my the greatest thing i learned from university was the people and interacting with young people they say that the society that's in university the microcosm of the society is a reflection of what the broader society is going to be in five to ten years so i think just getting a feel for the ideas and where young people are at i think that was my biggest takeaway from university hmm. now do you feel about the future now let's talk about south africa um and yeah i'd love to hear your opinion about where things are heading and, and what you think the role of the church is supposed to be okay the um the coolest thing and historic thing from south africa um is that Every 20 minutes you drive in a given direction, it's as if you're in a different country. And our society is plagued by um, smaller societies that love to stay in their own bubble. Uh, our society is plagued by a rich elite as well that doesn't see their responsibility as pertains to the least of these. And then we have this great and terrible history of apartheid that we are still living in the after aftershocks of. So look man, I have a I have a deep heart for my for my country. I have this uh, ring that unfortunately broke recently after getting it repaired. But um it's a it's a ring that has the the, the flag of our country on it and it represents a, a ring, a, a covenant towards my country. We need to protect to love her and to bring out the best in her. Uh, so that's what I want to do. And look, in terms of the role of the church, <laughs> look, I mean, you've, 
written a lot about the, the church, early Christians and what they ought to be and who the early church was. Um, for me, what's striking is that they were very famous for looking after the poor. I mean, um, one of the things they were famous for was adopting orphans when they were thrown out by the community. <laughs> the word for church in the Bible, the uh, word ecclesia, um, and Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And there's actually not a lot of principles for church mentioned in the Bible, if you think about it. Uh, it doesn't say how many rows of chairs they are supposed to be and how high the pulpit's supposed to be off the ground. But it's because the ecclesia was an existing concept in the day. So, yeah, I'm sure you'll know this, but, you know, the ecclesia were like the local governing body officials. Um, they were responsible for hearing from the emperor or king what he wanted for a given community. And then they were responsible for manifesting that there. So, Yaku, they were this <laughs> wild, local, small collective of people hearing from the king what they wanted and manifesting his rule where he wanted. And I believe we can go back to that. That's God's master plan for changing the world. If we can create disciples of all nations, disciples that follow their king, who was a uh, oppressed, homeless figure that ruled the world through love, and we can create disciples that follow him and live together in love. I think the South Africa that we look towards in the future can be a great South Africa. Yeah, well said. Enrique, I see this. <laughs> I want to ask you a last question. Um, yeah, go for it. Do you think, uh, where, where, where do you think you're going to be if your, your dreams would come true? Um, and I think God also gives you his dreams in your own heart. Where would you like to hope, hope to be in 10 years from now? Can I tell you where I hope to be in 60 years from now? Is that fine? <laughs> uh, so I was driving through myself and my family were driving through a small um, community and there were a lot of old people staying there that got us all thinking where we'd like to be at the age of 80 and for me I see myself on a stoop on a rocking chair sitting next to my wife and we telling old jokes about all the inside jokes we've made over the years. And I look ahead of me and I see tons of children that were once orphaned, but have now been taken in by the community. They're playing soccer, they're on jungle gyms. I look beyond them and I see all sectors of society, business, governments, education, health, all working together for the benefit of these kids. And I look behind me and I see this huge, like almost like spaceship base where everyone's working from, trying to come up with strategies to make the world a better place. So, man, if I can be a part um, father of a children's home and manager of the space that's changing the community, and I can be sitting on a rocking chair, having lack of conversations with my wife, I think that would be a future worth living in. Sure. I think every single person that listens to this, everybody that knows you, are praying with you that that vision would come true. And I pray that it will also be contagious, that a lot of people will be, be pulled into that uh, by, by you and your ministry and your vision and your testimony.
Enrique, thank you very much and God bless and uh, only the best for you. Thank you, Yaku. Thank you as well to the great role model you've uh, been in my life. You don't even know it, but your stories have really shaped the way I've lived my life. So thank you for you. Thanks a lot. Man.